Welcome to COS Live. You can watch the original video broadcast live on Tuesdays at 6 p.m. Eastern on either the Convention of States Facebook page or the Convention of States Project YouTube channel. Visit conventionofstates.com slash pod to learn more. And now, here's COS Live. Well, hello, Convention of States supporters. My name is Andrew Woodruff. Welcome to another episode of COS Live. Rita Peters is out again. She'll be back in two weeks. We look forward to her return. Until then, we have an exclusive interview with Steve Dace, who is a Convention of States endorser, and his recent book, Fauci and Bargain, hit number one. It is the on the best-selling, uh, and he exposes the corruption with the D.C. bureaucracy and everything related to COVID, and he is attempting to expose how we need to shut the door on big government before they have any more mischief um, with this COVID pandemic. But before we get to that exclusive interview, of course, we have our Article 5 trivia giveaway question with COS Vice President Mike Ruthenberg. Mike, take it away. Thank you, Andrew. It is such a pleasure to be here and see everybody come and join our COS Live on this wonderful Tuesday. And I am excited to uh, do a couple of things. One is I want to describe our giveaway, which of course everybody likes. And one of the things that I've been doing a lot of, especially since our store was closed, the shop conventionofstates.com is now open. And we've got some limited selection. Our biggest seller, of course, is the Hell No Joe t-shirt. And I don't have it here to show it to you, but go to shopconventionofstates.com and you can see it and you can get one. They're shipping right now. We have a whole bunch of other shirts and starting tomorrow on sale, packets of 10 and 25 pocket guides. This is our best-selling item in the store. We're excited to bring it back and they're in the warehouse. Tomorrow, they'll go up on shopconventionstates.com. But in the meantime, I'm going to give these away to the person that answers the question because they're so coveted and they're so needed by so many people in the organization. Because when you pull out one of these things, I always keep it handy. You can hand it to somebody and it'll explain Convention of States better than I can, better than most people can. And it's just a handy tool to have to get people on board. We're currently, as you know, at about 5 million supporters, and we're on our way to 35 million supporters. And boy, we've been spooling up. People are coming in faster than ever, and the Pocket Guide is such a great tool for that. Again, you can get it at shopconventionofstates.com. But for now, I want to give this away to someone who will absolutely deserve it if you can answer this trivia question. And the trivia question is important because if you know where you're coming from, you know who the people are that are that you're supporting when you give your time, when you give your honor, when you give your sometimes your money and your support to Convention of States. Who are the people? Here's the question that founded. Who are the co-founders of the Convention of States project? It's an important thing to know. It's an important thing to ask and understand. And I will tell you the answer at the end of the show. And I'll tell you a little bit about both of them. I know them both very well. They're both amazing people. And it's important to know where we came from. So who are the founders of the Convention of States Project? I'll be back a little bit later. Now I'm going to turn it over to you, Andrew, for an amazing interview today. I know we're going to have just a massive number of people to see Steve Dace.
Well, we are honored to bring back Steve Dace onto the program. He is a Convention of States endorser. He is also the host of the Steve Dace Show on Blaze TV. He has been an advisor for several presidential campaigns. He has also written many best-selling books, including Rules for Patriots, A Nefarious Plot, A Nefarious Carol, and of course, Truth Bombs, where he makes a very strong case for an Article 5 Convention of States. And his newest book, it hit number one on Amazon within the very first week. The Faucian Bargain, the most powerful and dangerous bureaucrat in American history. Steve Dace, welcome to the program. Thank you so much for joining us and congratulations on the immediate success that your book saw within the first week. Thanks, brother. Good to see you, Andrew. Appreciate being here and big advocate of COS, so I'm happy to talk to your audience today. Absolutely. Well, I want to jump right into my very first question because the endorsements that you have seen from this book, they're basically a who's who of endorsers. And I will note that some of them are also Convention of States endorsers. Uh, who would have thought that a, an organization like Convention of States, which wants to drain the swamp and a book that goes after the most dangerous bureaucrat, bureaucrat living in the swamp would have the same endorsers. But you have seen endorsements from Governor Ron DeSantis, Senator uh, Ted Cruz, Senator uh, Rand Paul, uh, from Jason Whitlock, David Limbaugh, Mark Levin. Um, you've even seen COS uh, uh, President Mark Meckler endorse this book. So do did you expect this type of reaction to your book? And more importantly, why? what do you think is generating the success uh, that, that soared your book to number one within the first week? You know, I think it, it could very well be the most impressive list of endorsers that... Um, uh, any right of center book we'll get this year, maybe in the last few years. And I think if, if we had a traditional publishing process where we were going to go and distribute hardcover to the bookstores, things of that nature, and there's a four to six month ramp up for that, I, I think there are several other impressive endorsements we could have landed that we just didn't have time to because we wanted to get the information in this book in, the, in, in as many hands as we could. That's why we went straight to paperback fulfillment on Amazon to bypass that and not wait four to six months, but I, I think it it speaks to the importance of the moment. And it, ironically, it was actually my my Catholic assistant, uh, Todd Erza, my co-author, who made this analogy when we uh, released the book and it immediately debuted in the top 25 at Amazon. He said, you know, I, this kind of reminds me of a, of a 95 theses, meaning that you know, prior to Luther, if you know your church history, there were other reformers or people who wanted to confront some things in the church that they thought had gone uh, had gone wayward. And because there was no way for them to get their message out to the masses, they either were shunned, ignored in some place, some, in some cases, uh, like uh, the would-be reformer John Wycliffe, they were burned at the stake, then they dug up their ashes and burnt them again. Uh, but, you know, Luther, despite the threats and everything against him, had the printing press. He had a modern invention that allowed him to get his information out into the general population. And his 95 theses were kind of a galvanizer for the Reformation. And I think it's it's possible that this book is kind of a, a galvanizer for the revolution uh, to get our way of life back. That polls show Americans are the least afraid of coronavirus as they've ever been. Uh, people are sick of not getting answers, sick of the duplicity, uh, including a ridiculous answer that Anthony Fauci gave just yesterday to a challenge from MSNBC of all places. And so I, I really think our book hit at the right time where, you know, just prior to us asking for his endorsement, Rand Paul had just gone 
mano a mano with Anthony Fauci again in the Senate. Ron DeSantis is kind of on the front lines in the battle of what I like to call COVID stand right now. And so it just seemed like the timing was right to get this message out and to issue this challenge. And, and, and the right amount of people and some really powerful people are waging this battle and wanted to sign on uh, in support. So it was for it was just serendipity or providence, uh, as the case mm-hmm. may be. I would like to say Providence might be the might be the case. Uh, um, and, you know, the, the positive reaction that you've seen from this book, there's been a lot of positive reaction, but you haven't there. There has been some negative reaction as well. And I want to point to the interview that you did on C-SPAN, because that was just very uh, it was quite delicious. Some of the uh, retorts that you had for people who came on to C-SPAN to um, criticize you. And usually C-SPAN puts people to sleep, but man, you made it so lively. And one of the responses that, uh, or one of the uh, persons who came on who was questioning you, they said, who are you to question Anthony Fauci? What credentials do you have? And your response was just so delicious. And I'm hoping that you could share a little bit about how you responded and just some of the uh, pushback that you've seen from your book release. Indeed, uh, Karen Stan, uh, came out in full in, in full effect on C-SPAN last week. I had a blast with that, though. I, I'd do that every day if I could. But as uh, they say down in the South, when you throw a, pack, a rock into a pack of dogs, the one that yelps is the one you hit, right? And so Karen Stan, it was almost like they could, they, they could sense I gave them the come hither, that they knew that a lot of this was about them. And that like a moth to a flame, brother, they could not resist the temptation to show their rear end. And so... I was just happy to smack it a few times for them since they're going to put it out there. And uh, the one call you mentioned, I remember it vividly. And um, I said to her, hey, I'm I'm a damned American. That's who has the right to question these bureaucrats. Me, you, and everybody within the sound of my voice, we're damned Americans. So we have that right, number one. But number two, I asked her, what right do you have to question Dr. Martin Koldorf, Harvard University, number one university in the United States? What right do you have to question Dr. Tony Katz, Drs. Harvey Risch, Dr. Harvey Risch, those two are from Yale, top three, top four university in the United States. John, Dr. John Ioannidis, head of world population health at Stanford University, top five university in the United States. Sunitri Gupta, the Center for Evidence-Based Medicine, both of those hail from Oxford University, rated the number one university in the world. So, I mean, if, if by your own premise, I mean, what right, they, they don't agree with lockdowns, they don't agree with this uh, with, with this first ever lockdown and quarantine of the healthy and the history of plagues in humanity. They don't agree with a lot of the mask uh, masquerade. So by your own standard, I said to her, what right do you have to question these counter experts from illustrious uh, and esteemed institutes of higher learning? Uh, wh- you know, where do you have the right to question them? And so what really stuck out to me about that appearance is there is a growing segment of Americans that are just preening, dying literally for subjugation. They cannot wait to be under the thumb of the state. They're longing to be slaves. And instead of, and, and, and I should say there have been more and more people, in fact, on the left, one of my new best friends is longtime uh, left-wing feminist theorist author, Naomi Wolf of all people is one of my new friends. We have chatted regularly the last few weeks uh, you know, Bill Maher has been uh, a critic of this. There are voices on the left that are like, what in the Sam Hill is this? There's nothing, there's no nothing liber- liberal or civil liberty about what's going on here. 
And that's why I think we're kind of transcending now the traditional right-left uh, Venn diagram. We're, we're really dealing now with the spirit of the age, a, mm-hmm. a rising tide of people who long to be enslaved, that, that they have been indoctrinated into a slave mindset. And so I come along and hand them the antidote with all the receipts. Over There's, there's more footnotes in this book than pages, over 200 fully documented footnotes that give them the information they need to get their lives back. Because I'm guessing a lot of these, a lot of Democrats like going to movies, ball games, and to see Hamilton too, right? And instead, mm-hmm. they turn on you like you're Moses. Uh, and, and what do you mean? I mean, now we've got to go get the straw to make our own bricks too. I mean, we were perfectly happy being slaves here. In fact, we look forward to it. At least in Egypt, we had meat to eat. And there's a rising tide, Andrew, of a slave mentality in America. People that want to be subjugated by an all-powerful state. And I think that is something to be very afraid of going forward. Yeah, absolutely. And you you talked just a moment ago about the counter experts that you outline in your book, and you mentioned hey, uh, Yale, Harvard, Oxford. You mentioned like basically the cream of the crop schools, and they all are against, or they 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 have different opinions about lockdowns than Anthony Fauci and about masks. And these are, you know, a a second opinion, I guess you could say, from like a doctor's uh, perspective. Mm -hmm. Um, But Anthony Fauci, on the other hand, he has never backed off of the efficacy of lockdowns, uh, the efficacy of mask wearing. But one of the things about Dr. Fauci is he seems to sometimes contradict himself. And he's even admitted to lying in the past. And I'm specifically pointing to the uh, New York Times article where he talks about um, trying to nudge people in the right direction to taking the vaccine. If I manipulate the uh, the herd immunity um, kind of data, push it from 75% to 80%, maybe the American people will be more uh, in favor of taking the vaccine. And there's, of course, there was the masks don't work, masks do work. They going back and forth with that. How can the American people, um, how can they trust the federal government to handle um, to handle like uh, issues or to handle cr- a crisis in the future if they can't get the facts straight and if they keep manipulating data like this? They can't. Uh, and it's one of the main points of our book is a 9-11 style of tribunal is needed here. One to get answers to all of these inconsistencies. You mentioned a couple of key ones. One of the ones that we zero in on in the book is on February 28th of last year. Anthony Fauci wrote in the esteemed New England Journal of Medicine analyzing the fatality ratio for COVID-19. He projected that it would be about a pandemic level flu. And you know what? When you look today, uh, the case fatality rate, which is that's what's important for you as a patient when you go see a doctor and you're diagnosed with something, you're a case, you want to know what the case fatality rate is. Right now in America, the case fatality rate for COVID-19, saying that every one of these deaths we've cataloged are all legit, nothing's been exaggerated at all. Well, the current CFR is 1.8% for COVID today, which means if you are diagnosed with COVID as a a general average number, you have a 98.2% chance of recovering from it on a case-by-case basis. Uh, However, the infection fatality rate, which is more important for those of us that don't have COVID, and so we're looking at this from a broader public policy standpoint, meaning how many people could get infected based on decisions we make about resuming and returning to normal life, that's even more important. And our CDC estimates at least 10 times more cases than we have identified. Now, around the world, those numbers are higher. In fact, our own 
uh, antibody seroprevalence studies show it's a much higher percentage of people than just 10 times pe uh, more infections than tests. Look at the fact they've hit a herd immunity threshold with 50% seroprevalence in Southern California, for example. But we'll go with the 10 times because that's a nice round number. It's conservative estimate. Well, that would put the infection fatality rate for COVID-19 at 0.18% when the, C the IFR for the flu is 0.1. So we're right around a pandemic level of flu, just like Fauci uh, forecast in the New England Journal of Medicine. But yet after he made... And hey, those are important numbers, okay? No question about it. But after he made a modest assessment, which turned out to be accurate, uh, of the threat level of COVID-19, 11 days later, he went to Congress and went full Denethor, run for your lives, menace turrets on fire, okay? I mean, it's over. That night, the NBA, college basketball shut down. Concerts around the country went dark. By the end of the week, the country was shut down. And we have no idea what new piece of data, uh, what new piece of information he received in those 11 days uh, that completely changed his perspective on this. In fact, his original assumptions that respiratory virus outbreaks are not spread by asymptomatic carriers, no, the data shows true. Uh, that masks don't work, data shows true. Uh, the fatality ratios for COVID, the data shows true. I mean, his early on diagnosis here absolutely nailed it and so what changed from that point i mean it, he on march 8th is when he went on 60 minutes and told everybody there's no point to wearing a mask so mm -hmm. in those 11 days his he did a linda blair exorcist level about face and i think we need to know why because you made a i think you alluded to a key point here andrew and it, you know we're in a situation right now where half the country wants this to be a lot more serious than it actually is they're like how dare you take my you know, apocalyptic event away from me? But another half of the country now has been conditioned that should we indeed face a, a plague level that other generations of humanity has faced in, in history or other parts of the world are facing right now? Should we actually face that? Now the other side of our country has been told, and hey, you know what, don't believe it. Uh, you're gas being gaslighted, you're being lied to. Well, that's not a good situation either. We, we need to reestablish a plumb line here. There needs to be and I've said this to members of Congress that I know that have endorsed the, that the book we're talking about. When you get control of committees again, we need a 9-11 style of tribunal. We need to follow the chain of evidence. We need to trace back what Anthony Fauci thought and when did he think it. Because we need to reestablish good practices here for how to deal with something like this. Should unfortunately we have to deal with something even more serious in the future. And we are speaking with Steve Days, who is a uh, Convention of States endorser, and he's also the author of the number one bestseller right now, Fauci and Bargain. So perhaps the most important theme of your book is about vesting too much power. You were just talking about this just a second ago. So talking about vesting too much power in one single person. And the American founding was really a rejection from those principles, uh, the idea of putting too much power in one person or even one group of people. But what we are seeing right now is there is um, people who just wanna say, follow the science and trust the experts. And we are just hearing this as a, a trope over and over and over again. Um, and you write in your book, a quote from Dwight D. Eisenhower that was really interesting. And it says, uh, in holding scientific research and discovery in respect as we should, we must also be alert to the equal and opposite danger that public policy could itself become the captive of a scientific technological elite. It seems to me that Eisenhower is painting kind of like a uh, um, 
rule by philosopher kings outlined in Plato's Republic. Mm -hmm. So do you think that we are succumbing to rule by elites from a distant capital in DC and, and kind of divorcing ourselves from the Republican principles of self-government and allowing decision-making to be spread out across, you know, through federalism. Um, after all, the words on the framing document say, we the people not trust the experts. We are, but I think it's even worse than that because we don't even allow our experts to debate one another. Um, you know, as we've already talked about and, and cited several specific examples of experts that probably also believe in 57 genders at their school and the earth's going to fry in 10 years from, from global warming. They probably believe all that stuff too. And yet they thought this was all flat earth voodoo bunk and didn't understand why we were quarantining healthy people or anything of that nature. I mean, look at the control group we had this, this last year. I mean, who would have thought that, hey, the next time something uh, there's a global health crisis, the country that gave us Greta Thunberg will be the contrarian control group. And yet here we were with Sweden playing control group last year. And for those who say, hey, well, it would have been even worse if we didn't lock down the the false the, the, un, the unverifiable false uh, or falsification scenario, basically something we could never know. So therefore it must be true. Well, Sweden provides the answer to that. In, in 2020, Sweden had uh, a, a 7%, excuse me, 7% higher excess deaths than their four year previous before pre-COVID average the rest of the European Union was between 12 and 18 percent. They were the only European country, EU country, that did not do a massive lockdown. They also have the lowest mass compliance in all of the Western world in Sweden. So there's your control group that answers this. And yet suddenly, after 20 years, all my life, all my all my life consuming conservative media, all my career working in it, I've been told by our left wing friends we need to be more like Sweden. And then suddenly. When, when people like me are like, you know what, maybe Sweden's got some good ideas. Suddenly it was like, what's a Sweden? Never heard of it. Don't know what it is. Okay. Um, and, and that's, that, see, it would be one thing to be ruled by, by as a, what you're describing as an oligarchy or some form of a plutocracy, right? But what we're really talking about here, Andrew, is straight up fascism, which is we're not even just letting the smartest people in the room handing over our control to them and say, you guys tell us how to live. And then they come out of a, you know some smoke-filled room with the best ideas. We're not even doing that. That's dangerous enough, right? Assuming that somehow um, they're unassailable, they're infallible, um, and therefore they have risen above the rest of us and transcend the frailties and sinfulness of human nature. That would be dangerous enough. But we're not even doing that. We're saying you don't even. You're not even an expert that gets in to the smoke-filled room unless you buy into a particular narrative. That's straight up, straight up fascism. And that's what and what we're looking at here is a proto precursor vision of, version of it. And even worse, it's populist in nature because what we're seeing is, and, 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 and my co-author Todd Erzin and I saw this in, in the research we did for this book. And Anthony Fauci even admitted this over the, on Sunday on MSNBC. Prior to COVID-19, there was no data that showed masks work. And he's right. And by the way, there is still none. All of the studies that have been cited, none of them have a control group. So they're not real studies. And we have real-time data that shows they don't work. Michigan, my former home state today, is the worst state by far in the country for new COVID cases and COVID hospitalizations. They've been under a six-month emergency mask mandate since last October. With six months of a head start, the masks couldn't stop Michigan from plunging into the worst state in all of COVID stand, 
as we speak right now. So forget studies. None of them have control groups. The one country that did was Denmark. Notice they don't mask their people. Every other one of these studies, no control group. And all the studies prior to COVID showed masks don't work. And when we went back and read some of those studies that were as recent as April of last year at Michael Osterholm's University of Minnesota Center for Infectious Disease, he works in the Biden administration now. Those things have like been retconned now and updated with disclaimers, basically saying don't ratio us on Twitter because we used to tell you the truth and we know you don't want to hear that. That's what makes this even worse is we're not even just hiring this out to a, to the philosopher kings, but you have to believe in a particular philosophy. And then the mob on social media of, of Mountain Dew red uh, addicts, as mom does their basement in their skinny jeans, cleaning the avocado toast crumbs off their sleeves, that is, that they then fuel all of this, the desire to please these unruly, spirit of the age, social media mobs. It's the worst of every world. Uh, that was great how you explained uh, those uh, uh, social media mob being in the basement with the avocado toast. I couldn't help but just like laugh on the inside. That was great. Uh, and it's so true. Um, you, you talk about on your show, you've said many times about do uh, Dr. Anthony Fauci being the highest paid bureaucrat right now in the government. And he's been uh, in the federal government for decades. And it, I guess it shows you that it doesn't matter what your intentions or the credentials that you have, you can still be corrupted. And vesting too much power in him, you you run the risk. I think we've ran the risk, and it's happened where um, the cor power corrupts, and then absolute power corrupts absolutely. And you can make an argument that Fauci has been corrupted absolutely. Um, but as you say in your book, that Fauci is not some aberration. In other words, this could happen to any bureaucrat, and that there are uh, you say the likes of Fauci within the DC swamp are legion, or in other words, there are plenty of bureaucrats that uh, we could pick from to put in front of the TV to spout off these, um, the, these, these facts that don't line up with reality. Um, but at convention of states, we talk about uh, being the solution as big as the problem. We talk about be, being the solution as big as the DC swamp, being the solution as big as the DC bureaucracy. With that being said, one of our amendment ideas covers term limits for elected officials. But we could take that resolution because of the language. We could extend that beyond just elected officials and also go into bureaucrats. So um, if a convention was called, would you support an amendment that would also limit the amount of time that uh, the Anthony Fauci's within the bureaucracy could stay within the D.C. swamp? Absolutely. I don't think a lot of our viewers understand he's 80 years old. Mm -hmm. 80. And if he had retired at 75 or 70, as most Americans do, I don't know what would be different. Um, I, I just think that the, another creature would have emerged from the Black Lagoon. I, I just, he's not some anti-Christical character. This isn't Nikolai Carpathia in the shadows uh, manipulating his way uh, into uh, a, a preeminent stature and, and malevolently seizing the moment right when it arrived. He's a construct of a system of malevolence. So if he had retired or wasn't here, it would have just been somebody else, maybe with a different personality. It would have been maybe been Debbie bedazzle your face shield Burks and her her obsession with IHME models that are constantly wrong. I, who knows what it would have been? We, that that's the problem. I mean, the, the, this system just just regurgitates as a higher birth rate uh, than the American people do, which frankly wouldn't take much when you look at our latest demographics. But that's really the issue here. And I think it goes back to the founding. I've used this theological analogy in the past. They weren't officially political parties, but kind of the first two camps our founders broke 
into were the Federalists and the Anti-Federalists. And the, the and, and if both sides were like, a, you know, believed in, it had a, it were like a, a church split, they, but they both believed in some form of theological orthodoxy. But the, the Federalists were kind of your Arminians. There's still some good in people. We can give them some free choice. You know, that they'll, they'll do the right stuff. And the Anti-Federalists are kind of like the Calvinists who are like, what part of total depravity do you not understand? If we don't spill this out very specifically, then, then the, the, the brute force or the raging inferno of government, like Washington described it, will blaze. And that's where your Bill of Rights came from, was kind of a compromise between those two camps to be more specific about what government. So the Constitution lays out the 18 enumerated powers, what the government can do. And then the Bill of Rights comes forward and says, OK, and now, because we know you're gonna, your imagination is going to run wild with how to spin these things. Here's what you cannot do. But neither side of this camp could envision, because there is no solution. What would happen if the people became so complacent that it's not that they're lazy, Bob, as it says in one of my all-time favorite movies, Office Space, it's that they just don't care. And that's where we're at right now. The level of complacency, you know, we, we're now calling it a great victory because on Friday night, the U.S. Supreme Court, by one vote, was, was benevolent enough to acknowledge that you have a right to worship God in your own home in California. All right, one vote. In the founding generation, they had a tarred and feathered a public official who tried to say you don't have a right to do that. Right there in public, and everybody would have applauded. Now you get to this all the way to the Supreme Court, and it's five to four to decide, yeah, you're home, you can worship God if you want. And I think this just goes to show how far gone the system is. But here is the good news. Um, it's the Samuel Adams uh, you know, revelation or observation about history. It's always the committed minority, Right. It's Gideon's 300. It's the 300 at Thermopylae. It's the 110 disciples in an upper room. It's, it's the 56 signers to the Declaration. It's always the committed minority. And so that's where groups like COS can take advantage, actually. If you're organized, if your people are committed, you can actually take advantage of the complacency in the country by outworking uh, the other demographics. And that's what the Spirit of the Ages on the other side did. They just outworked everybody and took advantage of their complacency. There's no rule that says you guys can't do the same. Mm -hmm. And one of the fascinating things about your book, and you were just kind of talking about this, though, and just a second ago, is you you mentioned um, the kind of spiritual aspect behind the COVID hysteria. Uh, you call it uh, the branch COVIDian cult, which is a funny uh, play on words on the, uh, the branch Davidians. Um, and there are prominent figures, not just like loons that you pull from the street, but there's actual prominent figures who are saying things like in Fauci, we trust, which is uh, just a perversion of in God we trust. And they're wearing uh, shirts that have uh, Fauci's face printed on that. I've even seen like a vote of candles that uh, you could buy on Etsy mm -hmm. and that you could buy on Amazon. And it's, you know, creepy and gross. Uh, they're holding Dr. Fauci in this like almost like religious icon kind of elevating him above the uh, uh, being a doctor and being a religious icon because no one knew who Dr. Anthony Fauci was before March 2020. Why do you think people are putting like a spiritual significance and a devotion to this bureaucrat who is quickly becoming the face of centralization of, of DC power? Last week, Michigan Governor Gretchen Whitmer did a national TV appearance where she had a Dr. Fauci face uh, yes. Emblazoned uh, uh, a pillow right behind her there on her set. And here's the truth. This is an undeniable in honor of 
the, the passing of Rush Limbaugh last month. This is an undeniable fact of life. It's an undeniable fact. What I'm about to say is an undeniable fact of 6,000 plus years of recorded human history. Every single culture, everyone, regardless of time, place, custom, color, creed, language, irrelevant. Every single culture in this of, of our species ever recorded, either collectively, doesn't mean unanimously, doesn't mean perfectly, but collectively either worships the creator, the one true living God, or will, or will worship idols, period. Or as James Dobson once uh, eloquently put it, there's only two worldviews in the history of humankind. God is or he isn't. That's it. And he's right. And what we've seen in our culture is the more the the more and more we have turned away from God, the more and more we have turned to idolatry. And the problem you have when you turn to idolatry, uh, you get scammed, you get fooled, you don't know which end of that idol to burn for fuel and which end to worship. Uh, you end up putting your baby up on top of the altar to either Molech or Planned Parenthood, uh, and then ultimately you turn against one another. Uh, idolatry always leads to sectarianism, always leads to tribalism, always leads to division within a culture because, you know, I kind of like my idol better than you like yours. And I think my idol should be uh, sitting there at the head of the table instead of yours. And so collective worship of God gives us e pluribus unum. Idolatry gives us um, other stuff, all of it bad. And unfortunately, we are well down at highway to hell in, in our country uh, as well. And the, the cult-like status of... Anthony Fauci is some sort of apocalypto high priest of the Druid or Mayan temple of branch Covidianism. It's just the latest manifestation of that. Mm -hmm. And I think the most important part of your book is it's all about daring to ask questions. And kind of like you said earlier, giving people a platform, the experts uh, platform to argue these points and debate these points. Um, because in a republic, we have to, it's, the onus is on us, we the people, to hold the federal government accountable. Um, so there is a lot more in this book that we're not going to be able to get to. But if there was like one thing that you'd want the viewers to be left with about this book, what would it be? That there is wisdom in a multitude of counsel. There's a reason why two bedrocks of our healthcare system are informed consent and the ability to get a second opinion. And the reality is we didn't consent to any of this. Anthony Fauci has acquired more power than any singular individual in American history. There is no one watching right now, no one within the sound of my voice, whose individual life, whose family, whose school, whose church, whose, church, whose place of business, whose way of life, whether you can go outside and breathe free air, there is no one whose life has not been either turned upside down or been taken control of by Anthony Fauci. And that's without a single vote cast, mail order or any other method. All right. That is um, not good. All right. And so where was our second opinion? Why did we never, ever consult these other experts, especially during the first 15 days to flatten the curve? When we all agree, let's take a deep breath, see what we're up against here. That was the time to bring in the experts. We never did. We just stuck to this one failing narrative instead. All right. And so where was our second opinion? Where was our informed consent? Anybody that's watching right now, a doctor comes to you and says, hey, a vital sensitive part of your anatomy, I must remove because I detected a mass there. You're not going to say, all right, cut it out now. You're probably good before you give up that arm, that limb, um, you know, maybe something more sensitive. You're going to say, you know, I think I want to get a second opinion on that. And any doctor worthy of having would be fine with you doing so and not feel defensive. How come when Anthony Fauci is pressed, is pressed, he's pushed back on, he gets defensive. 
Where's the informed consent? Where's the second opinion? The lack of that, two bedrocks of our individual healthcare system, it's presumed that if you have a heart attack, if you have a heart issue, you get to make the consent about whether to get quadruple bypass or not, even though you don't have a medical degree. Why were we not given that informed consent? And how come we have yet to give to find for second opinions? Last week or two weeks ago, Governor Ron DeSantis held a conference with several of those counter experts that I just mentioned from some of the best institutions of higher learning in the world. And, and YouTube just took it down and the media ignored it. Why? The, all the answers to that question are bad. Mm. Well, Steve, if people want to order your book, where can they go? And if they want to hear more from you, where can they go as well? Uh, best place to get the book is over on Amazon.com. Now, if you don't want to give them any or more of your money, I don't blame you. It just got listed at BarnesandNoble.com just a couple of days ago as well. So Amazon.com or BarnesandNoble.com. Fauci and bargain. And where can we go to uh, listen into your show? Uh, BlazeTV.com slash my last name, Dace. Or just search for Steve Dace on iTunes, Stitcher, Google Play, Amazon, Spotify. Well, awesome. Thank you so much, Steve, for joining us on the program. It's been an absolute pleasure being able to go through your new book, Fauci and Bargain, and just being able to dissect why uh, Anthony Fauci is the most dangerous and most powerful bureaucrat in American history. Thank you so much for joining us. We hope to have you back again soon. You bet, guys. Take care. Appreciate the work you do. God bless. All right. Well, I'm sure that nobody was disappointed by that amazing interview. And I am back, of course, Mike Ruthenberg from the Convention to States Project with our trivia answer. And if you remember way back to the beginning, oh, first, before I tell you the answer, I want to tell you the prize. The person that got this answer first won this pack of 10 pocket guides. They go on sale tomorrow in our Convention to States store shop. Conventionofstates.com is the address to the store. It's easy to remember. Shop conventionofstates.com. And the question, our trivia question of the week was, who are the co-founders of the Convention of States project? There are two of them. And the answers are, number one, boy, I'm certainly sure that most of you got this answer, and that is Mark Meckler. Mark Meckler was one of the co-founders of the Convention of States project. Of course, he comes to us from the Tea Party days. He's one of the founders of Tea Party Patriots, one of the co-founders of Tea Party Patriots, did an amazing job changing history in the Tea Party movement. Before that, you may not know he was an intellectual property attorney. He was not a politician. He was not that involved in politics, but he knew that if it was to be, it was up to him to be able to drive the message of the grassroots and to build a grassroots army in the Tea Party. And we're doing it again with Convention of States Project, 5 million strong. The other co-founder, Michael Ferris. And if you know Michael Ferris, you may know him as the founder and president of Patrick Henry College, an amazing college that puts out many, many people in the area of politics, the kind of people you want to see in politics. But that's not all. He is also a constitutional attorney. He's currently with the Alliance Defending Freedom, an amazing religious freedom organization. But in his old days, he was an Article 5 expert as a practicing attorney. And he is, the, I think he's the only guy alive that has argued Article 5 in the Supreme Court during the days of the Equal Rights Amendment. 
and he is an expert. And he believed it was originally his idea that we start an Article 5 movement to restrain the power, scope, and jurisdiction of federal government. It can work. It will work. Mark loved the idea, and the rest is history. That project started in June of 2013. I was there. Super exciting to watch it grow to now 5 million strong. Congratulations to you if you're the one that won our pocket guides. If you want to get a t-shirt or pocket guides, all you have to do is go to shopconventionestates.com. Thanks for listening. Back to you, Andrew. Thanks, Mike. Well, we're going to go ahead and sign off. We've had a really an amazing interview with Steve Dace, and I know right now the, the it seems really desperate right now because corrupt DC politicians they keep steamrolling your rights. Every chance they get, they insert their their greasy hands into your lives and want to control more of what you do. They want to take away the decisions that you should be applying in your life, and they want to have those decisions. They want to centralize power at, in DC with career politicians and corrupt bureaucrats. But you know what? You don't have to sit on the sideline because the founding fathers knew we would be in this situation right now. And they gave us a solution. It's in Article 5 of the US Constitution. One of the great things about Convention of States is we are using the Constitution to save the Constitution because the founders knew that the federal government would go well beyond the enumerated authority that was given to them by the people. It's in Article 5, the second clause, when two-thirds of the states get together to uh, pass identical applications, they can call a convention of states where we can propose amendments to limit the size, the scope, and the jurisdiction of the federal government. We are so close. 15 states have passed the COS resolution. 34 is the magic number. Once we hit 34, that will trigger the very first Article 5 Convention of States where we can implement term limits, fiscal restraints, and reduce the jurisdiction and the federal overreach that we have seen uh, over the course of the last 100 years. We'll be able to roll all of that back. But we need your help. So if you have not signed the Convention of States petition, go to www.conventionofstates.com, sign the petition, and then make sure to share it with your friends and family. The next thing that you need to do is you need to take action. We need people on the front line who are ready, who are ready to bring this convention of states to a reality. So go to the take action portion of the convention of states page and join your local team. Become a leader within your community. Become a district captain or a, or a member in your, um, in your local community to forward convention of states. Well, after you do that, make sure that you follow us on social media. Go to Twitter, Instagram, Parler, MeWe, Gab, Facebook, wherever you are getting your social media buzz, make sure that you are liking and sharing the content there. And of course, you need to check out the battle cry with COS uh, co-founder and president, Mark Meckler. It's on at 8 p.m. Eastern time every single Sunday. You get your dose of Mark Meckler, which is never quite enough, but you also get to hear about everything related to COS, and then you also get to hear some of the um, some of the news stories that are working their way around the country. So it's definitely a great place to go check out. And I'm not sure if you knew this, but the COS store is now open, which means there are t-shirts there. Uh, for instance, there's the uh, No Joe uh, t-shirt, uh, Hell No Joe t-shirt. Uh, you're not going to be able to take our AR-15 Joe. 
go get that t-shirt. There's also the Defiant t-shirt. There's the original COS Rally t-shirt. And of course, there are a whole bunch of other t-shirts that are available for you. It's so exciting to have the COS store, COS store back up. Um, and remember that uh, we need you to come next Tuesday for another edition of COS Live, same time, same place, 6 p.m. Eastern time. And if you're looking for the person who's going to save the Republic, look in the mirror because it's going to be you. Well, that's all the time we have for this episode of COS Live. We'll see you next time. This has been the podcast version of COS Live, originally broadcast on Convention of States Facebook and Convention of States Project YouTube. Check out more content at conventionofstates.com slash pod. Thank you for listening.